Thank you very much, Amber. Appreciate that. And uh, I actually let her play a couple minutes longer than starting the quarter up because I'm selfish. I like good music. I'd like to welcome you to Grace Reformed Baptist Church. Today is very special. You can almost sense the excitement of all our little ones here. And uh, to watch them grow up and just become such beautiful little kids getting to be older. I'm staying the same age. I refuse to grow up. Um, but it just, as you watch what goes on today, I just want you to know in your hearts and to really embrace that a gift, a ministry, a, almost a calling that God has allowed us to have is the nurture of little children in a Bible-based, Bible-loving church. And that's it's so incredible to me. We have behind the scenes ladies that are pouring their lives into these kids. You don't see it because you're up here falling asleep in Wayne's sermon, but walk downstairs every now and then. If, if, you, know, if you are falling asleep, get up, walk downstairs. But just peek in and see what's going on, uh, whether it's Sunday school class, or when we dismiss the kids that want to go down for uh, children's church, just to see these little ones rapidly learning about the Bible. Miss Gail talks to me about what happens afterwards, and it's just so encouraging to, to see people. Where's, where's Boaz? Is Boaz here? No? Okay. Boaz gets it. His brother gets it. And I know his sisters do, too. Just to watch them... I never thought little kids could grasp Bible truth at such a young age. I thought they had to go to seminary first. But I hear the stories that Miss Gale says, and I'm like, what a blessing we have to be this incubator for little ones and for big ones like you and me. Some announcements. We have a fellowship meal afterwards. You're all invited. If you don't come, I will take it as a personal affront and I will console my disappointment with an extra slice of dessert. But please show up. It, uh, we have enough food for everybody. The playground's open. There's some, a table out there with some benches if you want to have a, a picnic lunch and watch the kids play. Um, Ethan, you're not allowed on the swings anymore. There's an address in here for Specialist Carolyn Layton. I'm sure she would love to hear from you. Our offering box is in the back. If you want to get on the email list to be pestered by all the emails I send out, please give me your address, put it in the box, or give it to Miss Linda. Thank you. Thank you, Andy. Welcome. Welcome, children. We're going to pray in just a minute. Glad you're on the front row. That way I get to see you guys. Now, when we pray, we're praying to God. And so you don't have to fold your hands and close your eyes and <coughs> bow your head, but it could help you to think about God. And so we're going to ask the whole church to pray to prepare our hearts to be able to worship God. And we want to hear his word in the different ways that it's given. And one of them is going to come from you in just a minute. And that'll be a great blessing. When we sing, we sing God's word as well. We'll hear God's word read and then explained. So that's part of the service. We take a minute to privately go in prayer.
where you're at. Ask God to forgive your sin and to prepare your heart to worship Christ today. And we'll ask the rest of the church to do that as well. So let's fold our hands, close our eyes, bow our head, and you pray privately for a moment. And then I'll pray for us corporately. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for the beautiful Lord's Day that you have granted to us. I pray indeed that you will send your Holy Spirit to enlighten and illuminate our hearts, to be able to hear and heed God's word. I pray it to be planted deeply in the lives of these little ones, and if they express these glorious truths, I pray they'll be truths that'll stay with them, not just today, but forever. I pray that you will save each and every one and bring them to the kingdom. We're thankful for the analogy of faith they give in their simple testimony to following the truth. May we all come as little children before your throne, recognizing in great humility what great grace that you have, what great mercy that you grant to us day to day. You're a good and gracious God. God, we're thankful for the gifts that you have given to us and the fellowship that we are able to have with one another all through Jesus Christ our Lord. I pray that Christ would be uplifted and exalted. If anyone can't truly commune around the fellowship of the table with Christ and his saints, I pray that you would enable them to do that even this day. May you be glorified in all we do in Christ's name. Amen. Oh, I love the sound of babies. Just love it. Okay, now's the time for our Bible memory verse presentation and awards. And I would like some children to come up to the platform as I call your name. And I think Miss Janet's going to help. Lauren and Abby Taylor, William and Minnie Hargraves, Stella Wright. Mary and James Meyer, Luke Warren, Charlotte and Lily White, Naomi and Cyrus Nunn. Okay, well, he's still special to us. And as these uh, children come up, these children are ready to receive awards for Bible verses they have memorized. They may have learned them in Sunday school, children's church, homeschool, Christian school, or family devotions. We want to celebrate their achievement as they learn to hide God's word in their minds and hearts. And we have a tote bag for those who have memorized their first five Bible verses. We have a star for every five verses after that to add to their bag. But first, they will share some of their Bible verses to encourage us all. Verse 9, 10. If you really want to become wise, you must begin. 
the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was an anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. John 1, 1 through 5. Genesis 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, Genesis 1, 1. Psalm 90, verse 2, before the mountains were brought forth and you formed the world and the earth, for everlasting to everlasting you are God. Psalm 90, verse 2. Psalm, Psalm 1, 1 through 6. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his shall he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and in all that he does he prospers. For the wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous the way of the wicked will perish. Okay. Read the instructions. We have bags for Abby, William, Minnie, Stella, Mary, James, Luke, and Lily. We have one star for Lauren, Stella, Mary, James, Charlotte, and Cyrus. Cyrus's 
oldest sister, Naomi. Congratulations. May God bless his word that you are storing up in your minds and hearts. And now, Abby Taylor was not here the day we presented books to kindergartners. So Abby, come on up front here. Here is a book that your parents have chosen for you. It's called God's Word. And may God bless you and your family as you read it together. Now I'm going to pray for you guys. So everybody, let's join in prayer. Father, I thank you for these little precious children. And I'm reminded when our Lord Jesus said, let the little children come. And I ask that you would guard them. That you would use this word that they've hidden in their minds and hearts to keep them strong and safe, pure and upright. That you would lay your special hand upon them and guide them throughout their lives. That they would... <coughs> love you with all their heart, that they would be like the upright man or lady that Naomi told us about in Psalm 1. May they have long lives, righteous lives, and praise you with every fiber of their being. Bless their moms and dads as they lead these little ones to a deeper knowledge of the Lord, and we just praise you for them. In Jesus' precious name, amen.
with me. Remain in me and I in you. Luke 15, 4. special dedication for Brian Rafferty and I will invite him to come up and our elders as well to come forward to lay hands and pray in just a moment. Brian has accepted a position as captain in the Air Force. He's going to be part of the Biomedical Corps as the physician's assistant. 
He leaves for officer training school on March 28th and will graduate, Lord willing, <laughs> come on up. You guys all can come up and stand here where they can see you rather than me. Get up, put him right up here front and line right behind. That's good. And um, he's going to graduate, Lord willing, May 27th, right? And so the following week, they'll, they're going to pack their home and they're going to report to the first duty station at Wright-Patterson in Dayton, Ohio, if I have all of that right. And so we want to pray for you. Uh, I also got a note here that Brian continues his family's military service tradition, if you will, in the third generation. His brother currently serves in the Air Force. And his father, Pat, who I talked to earlier, he's a retired sergeant, first class, so... Um, and his grandfather was a captain as well uh, in the Army. And so, great tradition. Br Brian's, um, some of his favorite verses that he put here, one was John 3, 16, and I bet you these children know that one for sure, but also Psalm 103, which is one of my favorites, and by God's providence, it just happens to be the very psalm we'll be reading today. Last week we read, we're reading through the psalms, uh, and and uh, last week was 102. This week is 103. I'm glad it just kind of worked out that way. Anyway, um, you know, I talked to your father a few minutes uh, before the service, and he mentioned something that I understand as well, and that uh, functionally you're going to function really as a missionary in many respects. Yes, you're going to have this duty. Yes, you're going to have the responsibility, as we all do. But what we have been called to do is to proclaim Christ wherever we are. And when God puts you in unique situations, that there will be a unique presence in which you can testify to the glory of his grace, and we'll be praying for you. And during this time, my daughter happens to be at advanced uh, uh, individual training, I think is what it's called. They always use acronyms, AIT in a, a Virginia military school in the Army as well. But in, in my understanding of that, I realize how difficult it is for families to be separate. And I think you're going to be gone for, uh, is it uh, essentially uh, eight weeks or so? Uh, that's a long time. And uh, Brooke, we want you to know that we're certainly here for you. You call on us anytime. These elders actually call on them. <laughs> now you call on us uh, well maybe Andy anytime we're here to help you and we will be uh, physically helping you call on us if there's a emergency and she won't I mean whatever it is we want you to know you, you're our family here and you always will be uh, I want to go beyond this too we have some members that have moved on to Arizona and other parts and still stay in contact with us it's not required but since we are a family of God and we're going to spend eternity together, I assure you we're going to pray for these little ones continually and for you and for you, Brooke, as well. And so if you have a prayer request or a need, certainly ask us. We're here uh, for you, and you will be out of sight, but you won't be out of mind. And know that for sure. Fortunately, you'll have a little bit greater communication, but that separation will be difficult but you will absolutely be in our prayers. The church, I'm giving this on behalf of the church, this um, uh, presentation of the Valley of Vision. These are Puritan prayers, and this is 
dedicated to this day to Captain uh, Brian Rafferty, if you happen to know him. We want you to take this with you as uh, a memory that uh, of, of great prayers of the past, the people, and to be reminded also that this church will certainly be praying for you during this time. I'd like the elders then to gather around as we lead in prayer and dedicate this family to God's ministry in the Air Force. Father, we're thankful for Brian, Rose, Sandy, and these family members who have come together to support them at this time. Uh, I pray that you as a church family will continue our support and uh, may they know that you will never leave or forsake them. Rachel Brooks, as she has her hands full of these little ones, to know that Christ is praying for her as well, and he has given to her this church to be a part, to minister in the ways that we can. For Brian, I do pray this training will be beneficial. I know he'll meet some people and different circumstances that will come about in which he can share the gospel. And I pray that through this work and a ministry that he will use it to bring many sons and daughters to confess Jesus Christ as Lord. Certainly these little ones they have in their immediate care and then others that you might bring along their path. I pray that you bless them and keep them. Make your face shine upon them. May they truly know that your mercy and grace is new every morning. And may they commune with Jesus Christ our Lord on a daily basis. I pray this in Christ's name. And uh, I, I failed to do so, but you'll meet them at the lunch that we're going to have. Uh, Brian has some family members. Would you like to introduce a few before you sit down there so we can see? I've already mentioned his father, Pat, here, and the rest of them, you're going to have to help me with. Yes, and uh, my mom, Avery, and then my father-in-law, John, my mother-in-law, Susan, and my brother-in-law, Cameron, and sister-in-law, Kaylee. That's pretty good. We were doing this to just to test part of it. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. God bless you. Thank you. So well, praise the Lord. Let's uh, take our hymn books again and let's stand and turn to number 422. This might be a new one for you all, but a beautiful hymn that... Uh, has beautiful words and one that we want to incorporate into our routine singing is called Hark the Voice of Jesus Calling. This is John 4:35. Open your eyes and look at the fields, for they are ready for harvest. Hark the voice of Jesus Calling. 422.
bless the Lord, O my soul. We'll sing this through twice, and then the third time we'll sing the, the top part, and then we'll go into the optional key change at the end. So three times total, twice through the top half, and then we'll incorporate the second half after that. Bless the Lord, O my soul. church. Our scripture reading this morning providentially is Psalm 103. I'll be reading from page 502 of our Pew Bible. This course is the English Standard Version, page 502, Psalm 103. It's very familiar to most of us, so I won't add very much commentary, but I do want to highlight uh, in your mind as we read through this, verses 10 through 12. In preparation for this, I think of the second chapter of Ephesians and I'm reminded of the life that Christ saved me out of. We have a lot to praise God for in this life for the creation, provision, healing, several of those things are mentioned in this psalm. But to those of us who know personally Christ as Lord and Savior, to those of us being sanctified, forever in eternity we will praise God for his grace and mercy and for the work of the cross, Christ dying for the salvation of sinners. Read with me Psalm 103. A Psalm of David. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits 
Who forgives all your iniquities? Who heals all your diseases? Who redeems your life from the pit? Who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy? Who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles? The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his host, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works, in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Would you pray with me? Father, I pray for myself, I pray for your church, that we would never tire of praising you for your mighty works. Lord, I, I pray that we would always pray and praise you. We praise you that you do not deal with us according to our sins. We praise you, God, that you do not repay us according to our iniquities. We praise your name this morning for the truth that as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is your steadfast love towards those who fear you. We praise your name this morning, God, that as far as the east is from the west, so far do you remove our transgressions from us. 
Bless the Lord, O my soul. Amen. Brian for picking it out <laughs> today. It will be well if you recognize that indeed your transgressions are covered. You're indeed a blessed man whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. And has done so through the person of Jesus Christ to whom I want to draw your attention to now. We're finishing up going through chapter by chapter, verse by verse, the Gospel of John. So I invite you to turn to the last chapter of the Gospel of John, and I will reluctantly let it go at some point. I've enjoyed going through. John, I hope you have as well. It's a great Gospel, and here we come to the concluding chapter. Now some, reading through the Gospel of John, especially how we ended it in chapter 20, verse 30 through 31, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples that are not written in this book, but these are written, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you might have life in his name. That sounds like a fitting conclusion. And I have drawn your attention to that through the 
preaching of this gospel time and time again. And, uh, and it's worth emphasizing simply this. Th this is written so that you will believe. This is what actually matters. And how is that belief expressed? It's expressed as understanding that Jesus is the Messiah or the Savior or the Deliverer. He is indeed the Son of God. That is, is God incarnate. And it is only through him that you will have life. And life comes about in his name, in Jesus Christ. And so we have emphasized that to be really the overarching direction of the Gospel of John. So, why another chapter? Is this a long-winded preacher that just can't give it up that needs to go on? Or as some critics might suggest, that it is added on at a later date. And I won't bore you with what higher critics might say. Uh, they to me, spend most of their time trying to earn academic credentials by coming up with some sort of creative idea often rooted in their own speculation. There's no textual evidence whatsoever that would support the idea that this is indeed from the very pen of John, that it is intended to be placed even here in this position. This chapter 21 is not just a few more words that are added on, like when you're writing a letter and you forgot something, you had OPS and so forth. This is material that masterfully balances out, if you will, a glorious gospel. One of the children quoted for us this morning how John begins. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the same was be in the beginning with him. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was light, and light was the light, and life, and light was, and life was the light of man. I should have had her, her Naomi come up here and say this, but in any case, the life was the light of man, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness comprehends it not. The, the first 18 verses of the Gospel of John form what we would call a prologue, a, a beginning. This prologue in John, how this Gospel begins, talks about Jesus Christ. In the beginning was the Word, right? From the very beginning, from all eternity, is this person, Jesus Christ, called the Word. This is prior to his incarnation, which is much of what the gospel then would talk about. His ministry in particular in the gospel of John, his relationship with those that he called to be his followers, his disciples, Christians. This epilogue, then chapter 21, forms a closing of this book. It tells about a different relationship of sorts. At the very beginning, Jesus Christ did not take, have human flesh. He took it on. Then he came, he came to earth taking on human flesh, right? God in deity incarnate. He walks among these disciples and ministers for a period of three years, but now it is done. He has died. He was buried. 
and he has risen again. He has a new body, and we call it a glorified body. He is in a glorified state, and this creates a new relationship that the disciples are going to have with Jesus. It isn't going to be like the earthly ministry. And, quite frankly, it's not going to be like it was prior to the incarnation. Things are different. Lang, in his commentary, explains it this way and ties the two sections together, the beginning and the ending where we're at now. He says the prologue is intended to exhibit the eternal life of Christ as it preceded his manifestation in the world. The epilogue appears to have for its scope to exhibit his spiritual sway in the world as it would continue after he left. I think that's a good way to think about it and to phrase it. Jesus' relationship with creation and mankind, and most importantly, what's in view is his disciples, not just these, but all who would follow Christ and hence be a disciple of Jesus Christ, a learner, a follower of Christ. Now, in this state in which exists and is demonstrated in chapter 21, there is a significant difference, at least from the perspective of the disciples, in how we might relate to Jesus Christ. Prior to his incarnation and from the period of his earthly ministry as the Gospel John details. Jesus has taken on this form of the servant, human flesh. He's risen from the dead and he is in a glorified state. Paul would talk about this glorified state and give greater detail. You can find it in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. But he summarizes it simply this way to describe this state in which Christ now has this glorified state. Paul would talk, speak of the resurrected body as a spiritual body. Kind of sounds like an oxymoron, doesn't it? H- how does a spirit have a body, right? But it's a spiritual body. There is an essence in which it can be both in a material relationship and a spiritual way as well. That's this state of being in which Christ uh, exists here, and it is noted by John, as we've mentioned before, it is two post-resurrection events that John notes. He disappears. The disciples are together in a locked room. Nobody can get in. They're afraid of outsiders coming in, so the doors are locked. They're in there, and then all of a sudden, Jesus just simply appears. But he appears in bodily form. So there is a spiritual aspect and a material aspect at the same time. Here's a third appearance. It isn't just that he had three. It's that John is noting this one because this is a significant one. Remember, he writes down these things as he concluded so that you would believe. And this is the third and very important appearance to the disciples in and of himself. Notice verse 14 before we read it in context in in 21. 
that this is the, the third time, as he mentioned, counting the other two in the locked rooms as he appeared once to the disciples and then the disciples with Thomas. This is the third time he was revealed. This revealing idea is an, an idea of manifestation or making known or, something, or making something clear. He wants to make something clear to his disciples before ascending to the Father. He wants to make it clear, I would argue from the, this narrative and the way it unfolds, how these disciples and those that would follow in their steps, all Christians, all followers of Christ, all disciples, how they would engage and carry on the work of the ministry. And we can learn this from this narrative. Remember, John summarizes the commissioning that we're familiar with and perhaps the other Gospels, but he summarizes it, look in the previous chapter, verse 21. As the Father sent me, even so I am sending you. This is what Christ does. He will call people to himself, and then he sends them. Everyone in a unique way, right? That, but, but all of them declaring Jesus Christ. This is our commission. And here we'll find out a way in which it's carried out. This is a narrative, so it's not didactic teaching. We can't sit there and categorize everything. What, what you want to do is read the narrative and get the general picture and see what is applicable in your circumstance as you follow Christ. I will just walk through this narrative and highlight a few, but perhaps you'll see a few more that apply to you. I don't mean to drag out every single application, but I do want to explain what's going on, and I'll point out a few, and I think you'll get the idea as we look and read through this narrative just prior to the ascension of Christ. Let's begin, and we'll read verse 1 through 14 to get a picture of what's going on here. John 21, 1. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of the disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat. But that night, they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples didn't know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of the fish. Well, that disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it's the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, 
dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in, in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And all there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. And Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Let us pray. Father, I pray that we would indeed, through your Holy Spirit, be made clear, reveal this glorious truth, many here, of Jesus Christ and how we, as called to be ministers of the gospel, will do the work of the ministry empowered by Jesus Christ. I pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. Now, I hope you notice as I read through the text, I did emphasize a few different things. One of them, of course, is this idea of revelation. It was revealed. Notice verse 1, it says he revealed himself again, and then it said he revealed himself in this way. And then notice back down to verse 14, it says this is the third time that he was revealed. This is about the revelation, the disclosure, the making known of Jesus Christ. What is he revealing? What, what's, what he's revealing here is the nature of this relationship now post-resurrection. Jesus Christ, rising from the dead in a glorified body, will ascend to the throne. But, as he's already promised to his disciples, and I'll read it for you, remember John 14, a treasure verse for me at times, and it might be for you, where Jesus declares, John 14, 18, I will not leave you as orphans. And for someone who has been abandoned, that's a major statement. This is the statement coming from God, from Jesus Christ our Lord, and he says, I will not leave you as orphans. I'm not going to leave you alone. He, he's going to send to the Father. The disciples are still going to be there, but Jesus is going to be with them all the time. It is actually a new and unique relationship which exists. And it will be far greater than they could imagine. Remember, Jesus says, you're going, in the previous chapter, he says, you're going to do greater works. What, more spectacular things? No. Greater in quantity. These disciples and all who will follow them will, will uh, proclaim the gospel and people will be moved from, life, from death to life through the preaching of the word. That's an incredible task and something 
they cannot accomplish on their own, but it is because Christ will not leave them. And beyond that, he says, I'm going to come to you. And not only am I not going to leave you, but I'm coming. I'm coming to you. I will find you. And here you can see this picture and the analogy, and that's what you're supposed to do with this a narrative, is get the bigger idea of what's going on. They're out there on the boat. They think that they're alone. They're all by themselves fishing. And here's Jesus. He's there all the time. He's on the shoreline specifically, manifested in a physical state. But remember, this is God. He is everywhere. They just can't always see him, and they can't always recognize him. In fact, they don't recognize this manifestation of Jesus. Remember, they had a hard time with that anyway, right? The, the manifestation of Jesus in, in a physical form. Mary wasn't sure. She thought this was the gardener. The people on the road to Emmaus, uh, they, they didn't know either. Because there is a, uh, in the glorified state, and if you could read through this in the First Corinthians chapter 15, there is a correspondence to our current physical state. But it's different. It's better. We're not sure how that looks exactly, but Jesus has to make this known and reveal to them who indeed he is. They don't know. He's on the shore. There's some guy out there. They don't know it's the Lord at this point. Jesus says he's not going to leave them as orphans because, remember, what he would say is, I am going to send you another of the same essence, that is God, to dwell in you, in the person of the Holy Spirit. He, he is going to send the Holy Spirit to stay with you, to live with you. This is the triune God, because even though we think in terms of the persons, right, distinct, yet there is only one God. So you could say that Jesus is then with you, as he would say in the Great Commission, even to the end of the age. I don't care where you go. If you're in Christ, he's always with you. He's not going to leave you as an orphan. And further than that, he's coming to get you. And even if you don't see it with your own eyes, and even if you're not aware of it. The disciples have to learn how this dynamic circumstance will occur. They're, they're used to a physicality of Jesus thinking him in just this incarnate form and here at one place at one time. No. It, th th he is not limited by taking on human flesh. It, it's, he can die and he can rise again and he's in this glorified state and he's still omnipresent. And he will reveal at times when it is necessary. Let's walk through this narrative in a greater degree and just I'll com on, comment on it as time permits. Notice here, John begins this narrative by giving us the setting. He says, after this, after what? After the resurrection and after the two post-resurrection uh, appearances that John has pointed out in the previous chapter. After this, it says he was, verse 1, by the Sea of Tiberias. This is Galilee. It's the Roman name for Galilee area and the sea that is right there. They were in, remember, in, in the south, if you're not familiar geographically with Israel and how it works. You, you have the sea up top, 
you have the river that runs south, right, and then another sea at the bottom, the Dead Sea, the Galilee at the top, and Jerusalem is in the south. And the area of Galilee where he's talking about is in the north. They were in the south. In Jerusalem, this is where Jesus was crucified. This is where he was buried. This is where he rose again. They, the disciples, scatter, remember, and they return north to the region around this Sea of Galilee. And in fact, it is the region in which is considered their homeland for the most part. In fact, um, 28 of Matthew, you might want to turn. I'll just point out a couple verses there, Matthew 28. <coughs> because it, it should trigger something in your mind, which we'll get to to a greater degree, I think, in a minute, of what's going on. Th this, is, this is the end. Jesus tells them and commands them to go there, to go to the beginning, if you will. Matthew 28, notice an angelic being, a messenger, tells the disciples to go quickly, that's hurry up, and tell the disciples that he's risen from the dead and behold, he's going before you in Ga to Galilee, and there you will see him. See, I have told you. Okay? So they need to see the risen Christ, but he tells them to go to where? Up north, to Galilee. Drop down to verse 10, and Jesus says the same thing in verse 10 of 28, Matthew. Don't be afraid. Go tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. Drop down to verse 16 of 28. Now the 11, that's minus Judas, the 11, all of them, went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. This is the area of Galilee. All right. So that's why they're there. Back to our text in 21, John 21. So they're found there. So John begins that way and expects you to know that they had been instructed by a divine messenger as well as Jesus himself to go to Galilee. So they're obedient. They go. There's seven that are mentioned here by John. Notice verse 2. He enumerates who they are. The way it's constructed here, I think purposely so. Remember, this is a narrative. We don't want to push it too far, but get the big picture here. Nor normally, when you call out the disciples, you don't necessarily do it in this order. Often, when you do read the disciples' list, you will see Simon Peter at, as the first. But, but notice here, it says Simon Peter, and then it says Thomas. Th they're identified first. Simon Peter is the spokesman for the group. He doesn't always say the right thing. He gets in trouble. But he, he, he has leadership over the group. But remember where we left him off last, he did what? He denied Christ. But he still pointed out in this role. Peter, then John highlights, he's there at this region of Galilee. But he's a denier. The second person mentioned is Thomas, and you remember him. Thomas, from the previous chapter, in chapter 20, he was what? Thought of as the doubter. 
both of them have problems with their faith. One denied it and the other doubted it. Jesus will take these ordinary and might I say even less than ordinary men to, to turn the world upside down. Be because it isn't based on the strength of Peter or Thomas. You'll see as this text unfolds, Christ will humble them and make them recognize it isn't from the flesh, but from the spirit that he will accomplish all things. Peter and Thomas headline here, the seven, because they're going to feature prominently in what's being taught. They had failed, both of them. But Jesus is going to restore them. It's a humbling experience for them both and for the other disciples, as we'll soon see. But he will restore their strength and give them great courage, not through their own self, but through Christ. They stand as exemplars for us in many ways to learn vicariously through somebody else's experience. Notice, though, then it shifts to someone else, Nathaniel. And um, here, I invite you to turn back to chapter 1, just so that you will uh, recognize Nathaniel when it's mentioned in the way they would have thought about Nathaniel. He's mentioned here, and notice in the text, if you still have your finger there in 21, we'll be back, he's, he's from Cana of Galilee. So, so it's pointed out where he is from. You're not much as mentioned in the gospel uh, from uh, since the beginning here. But you know who Nathaniel was? He was brought to Jesus Christ at the very beginning. And where was he brought from this particular region? 148 in the Gospel of John. Jesus knows Nathaniel, and he asks him, how do you know me? Jesus came to him. He revealed himself to him, but Jesus already knew him. Nathaniel didn't know Jesus. So Jesus answers him, before Philip called you, when you're under the fig tree, I saw you. Now, we've been through that, but it's been a long time. Do you remember? This would have been a place of private communion and prayer for someone that was a God-fearer, an Israelite. This typically would have been a place of prayer in which he's praying to God. So Nathaniel answers and recognizes in his own phraseology, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. See what he's confessing? That Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. This is the testimony, and we might say it in our day, Jesus is Lord. And mean it. Jesus means Savior, and Lord is sovereign. Well, this is who Nathaniel is. And he recognizes that it is Jesus who says this. And he goes back to him in talking about his belief in verse 50. Well, are you saying this because I saw you? Do you believe? You're going to see greater things than this. And he points back to analogy from the Old Testament of what we would term as Jacob's ladder of vision where there's a bridge between God and man. 
and it is revealed now who that bridge is. How, how is, where would that mediation come by? How will you commune with God? How will you be reconnected to God? Let me tell you, there is only one person, one name, it is Jesus Christ. And he says this right here, verse 51, Truly, truly, verily, verily, amen, amen, absolute certainty. I say to you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending, ascending and descending on the Son of Man. That's him. It is through Christ and Christ alone that this connection that was broken in the fall is going to be restored. The ladder to heaven is Christ. It is the person of Jesus Christ. This area of Cana, it's pointed out, Cana of Galilee with Nathaniel, it, it draws us to this understanding and, and really a reminder of who Jesus is. But back at this very place, too, if you remember, Cana was the site of the first miracle, chapter 2 in John. And I think it's supposed to bring up that image there in bringing Nathaniel out as well. The miracle that we're talking about, about the fish, which we'll get to if time permits. If not, there's always next week. Sorry for you guys having to travel far. You'll just have to come. It'll be worth it. This is going back in time, if you will, and relating the two. You see what I'm saying? The first miracle occurs here. Now Jesus says, you get back up there. I've got another miracle plan for you to see, to kind of seal the deal. That's the ending of it all. A.W. Pink mentions in that the author of the Companion Bible, I think it was Bullinger, had a note on this. And I have the Companion Bible, it's a little study Bible, and I couldn't find this exact quote, so I'll attribute it to A.W. Pink and trust him that he had it right. In any case, he, he goes on to expound on this about these miracles in comparing the one that we're going to talk about with this catch of fish and this first miracle here at Cana at Galilee. You know, this is water and wine. He says both miracles there, um, in both miracles, there's a striking background. In one, we have the confession of Nathaniel, which we've just read, 149. The other, in the confession of Thomas, John 20, verse 28, my Lord and my God, remember? The first miracle was on the third day, John 2, 1. The latter was the third time the Lord had showed himself to the apostles, 21 verse 4. The one was occasioned by them having no wine, 2, 3 of John. The other, by no fish, 21, 3 and 5. In both, the Lord uttered a command. First was fill the water pots, John 2, 7. Well, the last here, 21, 6, cast the net. In both, Christ furnished bountiful supply. The water pots were filled to the brim, John 2, 7. And the net, as we've read, 
was full of great or large fishes, 21.11. In both, a number is mentioned. Six water pots, John 2, 6, and 153 fish, John 21, 11. In both, Christ manifested his deity. That's the point. John 2, 11, and compare that to 21, 12, and verse 14. The point is so that you would see Christ, that you would believe. And so these Miracles, I do agree, they kind of parallel one another. That's why they're put together like this when Jesus tells them to go back to the very beginning. Back to our text in 21. The next group noted is the sons of Zebedee. After Nathaniel, it says the sons of Zebedee. This would have been James and John. John, as he does in his gospel, which we'll see later on in this very text, he describes it as the one who Jesus loved. He doesn't like to mention his name. He is humble in this sense, but yet he is included as an eyewitness of these very things. And that's how he's going to conclude this text. He says, I was there. What I'm saying is true. I wrote it down. You're hearing from a person that was there, John, son of Zebedee. There are two other disciples that are mentioned, making up a total of seven that were at this particular event. They're not mentioned. A lot of people speculate. It doesn't matter. The point is they're not mentioned, and I think that is actually the point. Many are called to serve, and some will be in notable tasks. Simon. And some may make a name for themselves, perhaps unintentionally, like Thomas. Some are very great and godly, respectful people in which we should emulate and learn from, like Nathaniel. Others, just unnamed. They don't need to be mentioned, but they're disciples nonetheless. And just important, because you know why? It ultimately isn't about Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel, the sons of Zebedee, it's about Christ. That's what's most important. Oh, yeah, someone might get a prominence. You might need to mention their name from time to time for whatever reason. But ultimately, it is about Christ, and that's the whole point. And many work behind the scenes, called to ministry in the various ways in which God has called you, and no one will never know your name. It doesn't matter. Jesus knows your name, and he's called you to that. Whether it's raising up children and teaching them the beautiful word of God and hearing that, perhaps you'll never get credit for, for that work. But what a beautiful thing, moms and dads and teachers that invest and sacrifice their time in the way that God has called you, and many of prayers that go up day after day that no one that no one knows about. But God knows about them. And I'm, I, I don't want to get off on it. I don't know how I'm going to end this thing, but we'll see. <laughs> Rabbit trail, squirrel, whatever. In the book of Revelation, and we're going to talk about prayer on Wednesday here coming up soon. It talks about a container, if you will, of the saint, prayers of the saints that God keeps. 
You may think that your prayers don't matter, but they matter to God. And sometimes we think, and, and Brooke and Brian, as, as we uh, dedicated and we said we would pray and we will pray, some people might take that as, oh, okay, well, that's good. Um, that's not much. That's the, that's the most. I want to thank each one of you right now personally for praying for my daughter as she's been away. The amount of favor that God has granted to her, oh, it's been difficult and hard. But in the providence of God, what has happened? And I, and, and I, I refrain from telling you too much, but just ask me and I'll tell you more. <laughs> but I'm so thankful for the prayers of the saints which do accomplish much. The prayers of a righteous man avails much. It, 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 is, it is significant even if no one knows your name. This is a great ministry. And you can be on your deathbed and still pray. You can be sick at home and listening in, but you can pray. Pray for us. Pray for one another. Pray for the glory of Christ to be manifested. Prayer is a significant thing in which we do a significant work even if no one knows Seven are mentioned here in our text, and there are others, but they're not there. And again, it doesn't mention why. It just says seven are there that are part of this fishing crew. Perhaps the rest were there. The other, what, four were there, but they stayed on the shore. Maybe they, they weren't fishermen. Maybe they didn't care to go. Whatever. We're not told about them. Uh, perhaps they don't mind waiting so much and they just stay ashore. But there are some that do go out into the sea and that's the focus of this particular narrative, what is going on. They're going out back to the place where they started and they decide to go fishing. In our text in John 21, I'm at verse 3. Simon Peter says to them, this is to the disciples, and, and I really think it was probably all. Six others come, but nevertheless, he says, he says, I'm going fishing. And they, that's the ones who followed along, they said, well, we'll go with you. Simon Peter does function as a leader of this group. And in doing so, many will follow. He's the one that strikes out to do this. Now, there's mixed opinion about the nature of this statement that he makes, I'm going fishing, and the nature of this particular fishing trip. Some think that he might have been walking away from his true calling and returning to his former occupation as well as the others. Others think, well, maybe he was just trying to do something productive while he was waiting. Who knows how long they would have to wait. Here they are by the sea, and they are fishermen, after all. And so maybe they're just doing something productive here while they're waiting. I, did, I think it's reading in a bit too much, and I understand why, they, why people want to say this about this, to, to say that this was you know, an absolute rebellion. 
He is, after all, where the, he needs to be. Christ had told him to go to Galilee. He didn't say you can't fish while you're there. All right? And this would, if you're, you, you know, he didn't say to be idle, and this is something productive. So I think it's more that he just was going to do something of value. He seemed, all of them seem to be pretty, you know, energetic and engaged, if you will. But on the aspect of him, you know, walking away from his focus, that aspect, there may be some truth to that. In other words, you can get so gauged in your work, your responsibilities, hobbies, things that you like, and it's fine. Do them. Engage in them. You need to, you need to provide for your family, so you need to work. Right? You, you need to have some sort of outlet, if you will, to do other hobbies or other activities or things that you do. But don't lose the focus of what you're ultimate calling in every single one of those events. I had to pick on Brian again. You were in the focus here. You, you know, you have, you're going to have a tremendous amount of responsibilities where you're at, Right? And you need to do them, and you need to be responsible for them. You need to learn and train. But ultimately, and it's not just you. This is all of us. You're just, I'm picking on you because you're featured here. But all of us, ultimately, what, what, what is our engagement? What is our calling as a disciple of Christ? It is to proclaim Christ in the unique setting that you might be in. Some of you might be doctors and lawyers accountants, maybe dishwashers, grass cutters. It doesn't matter what your occupation is. Your vocation is to preach Christ and him crucified. That, that's your ultimate ministry, right? It, even in the midst of doing these other things. And, and I think that's why this analogy is so fitting and brought up. It's an analogy that Jesus had used already. And I think it's worth taking a look at, and I'll try to find a way to land this plane. And that is to remember your calling. Jesus is, uses this very experience as a teaching analogy to his disciples. This has been done before. Let's go back to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5. This is the calling of the disciples. On one occasion, Luke 5, 1, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, another name for the same area, and he saw two boats by the lake. But the fishermen had gone out of them, and they were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. So Jesus wants to teach, gets in the boat, that helps with the acoustical aspects there in communicating and getting away from the crowd. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Okay, put out into the deep and let your nets down for a catch. All right. 
Did you catch that? They had been washing their nets, which means they're already done. <laughs> they, they, they didn't catch anything, and they took Jesus out in this boat just to help him communicate to the crowd that was there, and now Jesus tells these same people, professional fishermen, oh, let's go out where it's really deep, and we're going to catch some fish in daylight when it's not a good time to fish from their perspective. Verse 5. Simon answers, Master, we've toiled all night and took nothing. They, they were working all night and, and caught nothing. These are professional fishermen. Can I tell you something? Have you ever met or are you a professional fisherman? I'm not. I was a kid who tied a string to a stick and threw it in the creek. That's all I know about fishing. But these guys hoodwinked me and told me to go fishing with them to a lake in Texas, and they'd hire some professional fishermen to take us out on boats. And there was two men per boat and one professional. We rode around that lake. It didn't matter where we stopped. That professional would always catch a fish. Me and my buddy in the boat, we caught nothing. <laughs> he gave us the fishing rod. He gave us the lure. He told us where to put it. He told us how to jiggle it. All of that. And we catch nothing, and he's yanking out these bass. But well, they just know you're a professional. They're going to listen to you. <laughs> this is when I found out that there's actually something to fishing more than just throwing a hook in the water. I still don't know how to do it, but he even brought us, humored us, brought us to the sh shoreline where we could actually see him. You know, more we were going, we were in the deeper holes and whatnot, and now we could see him. And I'd throw that thing right next to that fish, and he still wouldn't bite. Anyway, that's who these guys are. These are professionals, and and they toiled all night, but yet they they listened to his word and his preaching, and they respect him, and they said, okay, but at your word, we're going to let it down. When they had done this, that is when they obeyed him, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They had a signal note here to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. They came and filled the boat so that they began to sink. That's how much they caught. They had been fishing all night long. They caught nothing. When Christ said to put your net down right here, right now, they caught more than they can handle. When Simon Peter, you remember that guy? When he saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knee saying, depart from me, I'm a sinful man, O Lord. When you see the power and glory of Christ, this is your response. This is one of the reasons we love to hear testimonies of of the saving power of Jesus Christ. And I won't embarrass the person by reading the statement, but I just received one for somebody who is going to confess Jesus Christ as Lord to before Christ and before his church, and that is one of the noted things is there. Oh, wretched man that I am. Th th this is an indication of recognition of the fact that who Jesus is in comparison to who you are. Simon Peter, here's this great fisherman, great accomplished person. He could do nothing 
without Christ. He calls himself a sinful man. He and everybody were absolutely astonished. This is seeing the glory of Christ in this, and yes, it was a miracle, a fish, the fish that they had taken. And who was with him? James and John, sons of Zebedee. Does this sound familiar? <laughs> who were partners with Simon? And Jesus told them, don't be afraid. From now on, you're going to be catching men. Do you catch the analogy? And I'm sorry for carrying on, but we'll tie it in next week. But from what we've read in chapter 21, can you catch the comparison here in this analogy in what's going on? Yeah, they caught fish. And he's using this as an analogy. You can't catch fish physically without Christ. And you certainly can't catch them spiritually without him. You know, I've heard and read some commentaries where they say, well, you can do some things on your own, like pick up a drink and drink it. Well, I, I, you can differ with me on this, but I don't think so. I think it's only because of Christ, and, and we just take this for granted. He's upholding all things by the word of his power. And as soon as he stops, it, isn't, it, is, it, is, it is grace abundant to everyone to be able to breathe, to live, to move. Ultimately, oh yeah, I can move, I can do this. Th they pulled in the net. Jesus could have just thrown them all in the boat and had them all jump in. What does he have them engaged with it at all? So that they can get involved to some degree in it, and he will. This is the means he uses. But you know, he doesn't need any one of us. It is for our benefit that we are allowed to participate in this great grace. And, and then to see the accomplishment through the weakness of who we are. It, because Christ then is glorified. So he tells, tells them, don't be afraid. From now on, you're going to be catching men. And what was their response? When they had brought their boat to the land, they left everything and followed him. They went back to the land and got in the boat doing the same kind of thing. I think it was Yogi Berra said something like, it's deja vu all over again. That, that's, that, I think this is the point in John. He, he's tying these together. I'm not suggesting, he's saying, you can't ever catch fish. But recognize you're not going to accomplish anything in this life, whether you want to think of it in a physical way or a spiritual life, without Jesus Christ. And we'll elaborate on that, but I'll give you some homework for next week. Read John chapter 15. Remember, we were there. I'm the vine, you're the branches. Remember what he said? Apart from me, you can do a lot. Exactly. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for your...
word, your truth, your patience with us, and even keeping these narratives that are fresh in our mind that we might be able to carry with us to learn your word, to learn the truth, and ultimately confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. May you be glorified in all we do. For, for those that are outside of Christ, I pray that you call them even now to confess Christ as Lord. For those of us who this word rings true in our heart, may we continue to focus on what you have called us ultimately to do, even through various hardships, uh, things that we may have to go through. I, I pray the, the glory of being uh, called to the work of your ministry will be refreshing to us and cause us to glorify your name. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Beloved, take a moment now to think on these things. We typically give a few minutes for private response. We don't call people up to make, uh, and that's fine if people do that, but, but we don't if you're visiting with us. What we ask you to do is just take a moment and pray to God. If you have sin to confess, confess it to him. If you have Christ to confess, confess it to him as now. If you need to talk to any one of the elders afterwards, we're here for you. But take a moment privately to think of the words of Christ today. Take a moment now. Father, thank you for your steadfast love, for your mercy, and for your grace. I pray that myself and your people will be constantly reminded of that and tell of the glory of your love, your grace, and your mercy, not to be just cherished by just a select few, us here, but beyond throughout the ends of the earth. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's all stand and turn to 551 in our hymn books. 551, all that thrills my soul. Colossians 3.11 says, Christ is all in all.
dismissed. <clears throat> Lord, I will walk before you in the land of the living. What shall I render unto the Lord for all his benefits toward me? I will take the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord now in the presence of his people. I will offer thee the sacrifice of thanksgiving and will call upon the name of the Lord. And Father, as we do uh, continue now and are about to depart, Lord, we just pray that you would bless as we go to the fellowship hall and uh, bless the food that you've provided and all those who uh, help to uh, make it, Lord, and, and bless the fellowship around the table. We ask it now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.